take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. These last couple of months, I've been sharing my journey with you. The prequel, in a way, to what became a new vocation, a new life, eventually in a new place. One reason I've been wanting to share these stories with you is because I get so much feedback that personal stories are a real help for you in understanding the spiritual principles I teach. And another reason is that whatever level of realization I'm coming to you from right now, it's the fruit of a lot of mess. And I'm still actively evolving, obviously. And because in my life, there's been a tendency to hide behind a mask of look at me, everything's great, while behind the scenes, I was totally unconscious. I've been determined to dissolve that tendency. Now, if I'm making a mess, at least I'm being conscious about it. And I guess I don't really see it as a mess anymore, more like a necessary restructuring and realignment to the prevailing level of consciousness. And I would invite you to see things the same way. I talk to so many people who really get down on themselves and have a, a really harsh inner critic. It doesn't have to be one or the other like your life is great or your life is a mess. A great life has got mess in it. And this work is all about embracing the totality of who you are. I have not now reached some lofty apex where I'm living a dream life in quotes, where everything is sunshine and rainbows and yachts and <laughs> stuff, stuff you see on social media. I think we all need to be discerning. When we see images in advertising and on social media of personal growth gurus and thought leaders or anyone for that matter, that make it seem like they're above it all or living a perfect life. A perfect life is perfectly imperfect, and anyone can create and control their image now, but that doesn't mean that what you see is what you get. The hallmark of any truly self-realized person is a relatable genuineness and humility. In fact, there really isn't a person there anymore. There's no ego to be praised or condemned or hurt or offended by anything anymore. They don't want or need anything from you. They're not trying to get something. They are zero. They are the space. You might think that would be weird to be around. <laughs> and indeed, it can be confronting to some people. But it's so refreshing, so authentic, so funny. They're so easy to be around. This level of realization is very rare, statistically speaking, though perhaps now enlightenment is more possible for more people than it ever has been before. But certainly love as a state of being 
and even unconditional love is achievable for any person who has spiritual growth as a real priority. Why? Because you wouldn't make spiritual realization the most important thing in your life if it wasn't already your destiny. That destiny is what is attracting you to spiritual growth. And once love is your dominant state of consciousness, your dominant frequency, you've arrived in a new paradigm of reality. It's not that you never have problems anymore. It's, it's not that you don't get confronted or challenged. In fact, that stuff can increase because you're far more sensitive to what's off in you and it's intolerable. It's incompatible with the dominant frequency. So it's like the princess and the pea. You've got to do something about it. But unconditional love dissolves the blockages once we stop resisting them. As I've often tried to convey in this series of stories, it's the fact of doing the work that brings up subconscious material for processing, and it's often not pretty. So it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you're doing something right. The higher you go, the deeper and the more subtle the stuff you get to work on. In even the smallest ways, you can't hide anymore. You can't pretend. You can't be inauthentic to yourself or others anymore. It's just too painful. You have to be willing to exchange your comfort zone, your sleepy, reassuring cocoon of convenience and safety for truth. You have to tell yourself the truth for starters. So your life can sometimes look a bit messy from the outside. I often think back to the day we moved out of our house in Canada a couple years ago to come to France with no plan <laughs> on a wing and a prayer. There on a tree trunk in our front yard was a glowing cicada emerging from its cocoon ever so slowly. It was a luminous blue-green color, and I remember thinking how vulnerable it was, exposed to all the creatures of nature and the birds that were swooping by. It was just sticking out of that uh, tree trunk in such an obvious way. Its neon green wings were all curled in and deformed-looking initially. But eventually, they were magnificently deployed, finely veined in a beautiful, harmonious pattern and quite large. As it was still perched, hanging on to the cocoon, I wondered how this radiant being had ever fit into the dry brown husk whose outline and form was the perfect replica of its former self. I checked on it periodically over the next half hour or so as the boxes and things were going out of our front door until finally it was gone, leaving only the empty shell stuck on the tree trunk. It had taken flight on a wing and a prayer, just like we were about to do. The symbolism was undeniable. One of my mentors as a coach was Mary Morrissey. Mary, along with other giants of the personal development world like Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor and Les Brown, Mary was doing this work before there was ever anything called a life coach. <laughs> she was a minister, again, like many thought leaders of that generation. Mary is now the head of a big, powerful company, and she has a very polished public image, very wholesome, and she's a grandma. Well, I worked with Mary for several years and consider her a personal mentor. 
And one of the things I really admire about her is how frank she is with those of us who were trained by her about some of the painful chapters in her life. Not only the shame of her teenage pregnancy at a time that was, well, it was even more taboo, but her two failed marriages, or failed in quotes, including the second one to a man who mishandled and just disappeared $10 million worth of private funds that were held in trust for the building of a new center for Mary's ministry. Well, in the wake of this scandal, she lost not only everything she had built in her ministry for years and years, but most devastatingly, her reputation, her good name, and the trust that had been placed in her by her parishioners. But Mary never blamed her ex-husband, even though she went through a massive storm of grief and anger Her ex-husband, who it turns out was bipolar and suicidal, instead she took responsibility for not minding the store, for giving her power away, and for not listening to the intuitive nudges that she received that something wasn't right. And she personally paid back the money that was lost, although it took her many, many years. Some people who don't know Mary, but who've read about her, judge her and call her a crook. But they don't realize what it took for her to walk through that fire and own it. Ultimately, we all have to walk through the fire of the consequences of our actions. We're not to blame for what we've done in ignorance, in unconsciousness, from our wounds, but we're still responsible. We are responsible for the totality of our creation, whether we've been creating it consciously or unconsciously. That's just the law of karma radical responsibility. And the journey, the path of grace, is a healing journey of embracing all of it, all of you, forgiving yourself for what you've done in ignorance and accepting how it plays out. The circumstances are always just what they are. And resisting them is pointless because they already are. So what's the point of trying to understand why this, why me, why now? We can choose to see that everything is for us, ultimately. It is for our good, even if we can't see how it's for our good right now. And it's our response to whatever circumstances we find ourselves in now that influences the timeline and the circumstances to come. This is again why the mantra, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you, is so powerful and so effective. It encompasses the principles of humility, forgiveness, gratitude, and love, and it represents the surrender to an infinite context that is beyond our understanding. It gives permission for healing to happen, and we're not the ones who are doing the healing. We just open the door and say, something greater than myself, please come in. <laughs> please come in and heal me. So that this this healing can, can happen in our lives in a way that's beyond what is knowable or logical or linear. That's the miraculous. Somewhere along the way in this journey of mine, I became aware that a new vocational path was sketching itself out, but the shape of it was ghostly and faint. I could feel things were changing in me and that my life as an actor, at least in the way that I had known it, was nearing an end. The irony is that simultaneously, I was in one of the happiest times of my life as a performer. (laughs) 
With all the traveling back and forth to France, it wasn't easy for me to accept auditions and gigs, but every now and then I'd do a voiceover or a TV guest star or a concert, and I enjoyed all of it. I could enjoy all of it for the first time because I wasn't attached to it anymore. I wasn't constantly focused on the outcome. In the audition room, I had fun. I felt free to fail, free to be myself. I had a lot more natural confidence and gratitude, and I just enjoyed myself whether it turned into a job or not. I also respected my auditions a lot more and fully committed to preparing for them. Even when I wasn't really interested in the scripts or the projects, it felt so good to be free from smallness of spirit and to feel lighthearted and generous where I had so often felt powerless and needy. Sometimes people ask me, why didn't I just stay in the business with that new attitude? But the truth is my energy seemed to be going to something or somewhere else, only I didn't know what it was yet, almost like it was forming something in the ether that I couldn't see. I noticed this even when I was working very joyfully on one of my favorite projects I've ever done, a new musical based on a beloved French-Canadian story where I was originating a beautiful role as the female lead, singing gorgeous music that was being written and rewritten as we went along, songs that were written. I was the first person to sing. I mean, that was the first and a dream of mine and playing with a bunch of children who were flying around on hockey skates. I mean, it was a joy machine. (laughs) I was grateful every day I went to work with a wonderful cast and creative team, grateful to be singing, grateful that the job didn't even interrupt my participation in work at the ashram, as it was a winter gig. I was very invested in everything we were doing, and at the same time, I was not attached to any of it. I had never experienced that level of freedom before, but my mind would wander. Sometimes I felt that I wasn't totally present in the project. I felt like my, uh, some part of my mind was expanding beyond it to who knows where that strange thing in the ether that was drawing my attention away. And all the while there was a, a great sweetness to the experience of doing that show. Maybe it was so sweet because intuitively I sensed it might be the last time that I would be moving on to something else, whatever it was that seemed to be forming in the ether that I still couldn't see. And after two joyful incarnations of that project over two years in two different cities, everything changed. I had been teaching yoga for years already, and I noticed that more and more people came to me for spiritual counsel. I was even asked to officiate unofficially uh, once or twice at kind of rites of passage that were spiritual in nature. I thought, maybe I'm a minister. And I recalled my earliest intuitive feeling about being an actor as being a vessel for the gods in service to the catharsis of the people. This was a persistent image in me as early as high school, like some ancient memory of theater at the time of the Greeks, as if I had been there, standing on those platform shoes with a big wooden mask under a big sky. (laughs) 
the actor had always been conflated with primal forces and divinity in my mind. That's one reason I was often so frustrated in the business was because I was like, where's the holiness? <laughs> Where is the sacredness? That's why I'm here. So I wondered if the true calling underneath the mask was beginning to reveal itself. Once at the ashram in the early years of my training, I was sitting at lunch with a table full of fellow students chatting with the guy across from me. He was asking me a lot of questions about myself, probably because as I mentioned, I was a bit of a curiosity to people coming all the way from Canada all the time for these training weeks. I told him I was an actor and he was quite curious about the life of the actor on stage. Like, what do you do exactly? What is it like? And so on. And I did my best to describe the experience. Well, you're on stage and you have to be totally present no matter what else is going on. You're, you're in the moment and you lose yourself in what you're doing. Uh, but you have to still be aware at the same time. But, but you have to be out of the way so that you can let something greater than you come through because you're telling an important story for everyone else's sake. So you can't cut the story down to your own size, especially with the great classical works that are full of poetry and elevated language. You have to expand to be big enough for that so that the greatness of it can flow through you unimpeded. You can't block it with your own smallness. You're not there for yourself. You're there in service of something higher and the rest of the cast. And everyone agrees to play this story out together no matter what and no matter what we have to go through on stage, even though sometimes it's really horrible and it's like you're actually living through it and your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between something that you're imagining or playing at or something that's actually happening. So even though we have to betray each other and kill each other and act out a whole drama on stage, off stage, we all know that we love each other and we trust each other. Otherwise, we'd never be able to do all those things on stage. And actually, you love people more when you've been on stage together because you know what it takes. <laughs> That's the kind of inspired rant I found myself in. And then I came back to his attentive gaze Wow, he said. Sounds like great preparation for being a yogi. <laughs> Years later, in the midst of this questioning about what was coming next, a dear friend was dying of cancer. Val and I didn't have a long friendship. We only knew each other about five years. But it was instant recognition. <laughs> we fell in love with each other right away. We were both singers. She had an amazing operatic voice, but could also wail in a rock band. We discovered we'd both lived in the same neighborhood in New York at the same time, way up in Washington Heights, and knew each other's buildings. We both had an attraction to and practiced martial arts as well as yoga. And she used to come to my Kundalini yoga class even on the days when she wasn't feeling very well. And she would just come in and lie on her mat and be there with everyone. It was so beautiful. There was a soul to soul connection in that relationship. 
Once she and another friend of ours were in France, not far from me, and we met up in Carcassonne and had a sleepover at their B&B. Oh my God, we had so much fun. And then Val came with me to Montpellier and met some of my family and stayed with me for a few days. And we walked all around Montpellier and all those little teeny tiny twisty streets and had dinner and drank wine in restaurants. Oh, it was just great. For someone who was so sick, she had more energy. I mean, she had more energy than I did. She was just thirsty for life. We walked all over the place that weekend. For years, she had valiantly defied the statistics of her stage of illness, but eventually it took its toll. She was bedridden when I said goodbye to her before I went off to France again for the winter. We didn't say much just connected through our eyes, which had always been easy and very satisfying. It would be two months before I returned. She gifted me a beautiful big piece of selenite off her altar as I left. And that was the last time I saw her. While in France, I was staying connected with our circle of friends who were visiting her and eventually in vigil as she was dying. Her sister, whom I had met when I last saw her, messaged me with Val's wish that I officiate at a celebration of her life. Words cannot describe what it felt like to be trusted to hold the space for such a momentous occasion, and honestly, I didn't feel worthy of it. But it was Val's wish, so I would have to be worthy of it and put neurosis aside. It wasn't about me. It was about honoring the greatness of her spirit. And I felt sure that she would guide me in expressing what I would say about her. In the week leading up to the celebration, which took place at a venue called the Revival House, a former church turned restaurant with a stage for live entertainment and a place where Val had often performed with her band, the event was coming together The whole thing was so lovingly planned and produced by her sister and Val's partner. And we had a list of friends who were performing in Val's honor and a ton of people were coming. She was loved by so many. I was feeling some pressure to come up with the right words to speak of her, but I just trusted that they would come on their own. And sure enough, the day before the celebration, (laughs) not a lot of time left. I was watching a video about beautiful places in the world to travel to. And for some reason, a message downloaded like water flowing in. And I I grabbed a notebook because I was like, here it comes. And I wrote it out longhand. And I can't remember all of it anymore, but I so clearly felt Val's spirit speaking to me and her love of life, and her thirst for life and living, and her longing to experience more of it. The message was about leaping, taking a risk to live your highest, fullest, boldest, most beautiful life. It wrote itself in about 10 minutes, and I felt her spirit shining all around me. The celebration was just great. I mean, it was beautiful. It was powerful. It was perfectly aligned with who she was. The place was packed. And I trembled a bit on my first approach to the microphone. 
After all, there were plenty of people there who had known her longer and had a lot more history with her than I did, and I wondered if some of them might be wondering why I was up there. But then I let my love for her take over and all was well. I had this feeling that Val was very lovingly, and with a wink, outing me in a way. One theme in this celebration of her life was her great generosity of spirit. And I couldn't help but feel her hands behind me, gently but firmly pushing me out there in front of hundreds of people to hold the space officially. It was the first time I had ever appeared publicly in the function that I perform daily now. It affirmed my intuition about the new course my life was taking, and this gets even spookier because months later, when I really needed it, the message I had received from Val was mirrored back to me in the strangest of ways. Around this time, I woke up one day to a vision of domes in France. I could see myself on a beautiful piece of property in the country surrounded by domes, waking up to the sound of birdsong, blissfully meditating, and then wandering through a food forest of fruit trees where I just picked my breakfast and carried it in my skirt back to a peaceful sunlit kitchen. I don't know where it came from, but I was carried by this vision, which filled me with a sense of peace and tranquility. And then, even though I'd never considered it before, suddenly I knew I needed to get a life coaching certification. Now, I'll be totally honest and tell you that (laughs) I didn't think very highly of life coaching as a profession at that time. (laughs) It's funny. Um, but as it often happens, when inspiration strikes, I didn't quibble. I didn't even do any research. I just knew who I had to study with, Mary Morrissey. I had heard her voice in a guided meditation during those months and inexplicably burst into tears. There was some kind of energy connection there. So I looked her up because at the time I had no idea who she was. And honestly, I don't even know how that meditation found me. When I saw she had a coaching training program, I just picked up the phone. Within days, I had been whooshed through the sales funnel, and I was in a conversation with a salesperson whose mission was to close the deal. As much as I'm repelled by sales pressure and that whole marketing thing, I didn't need much convincing. I had already made up my mind, and I knew it was right. But the cost of the training was jaw-dropping, especially considering I had no job and no prospects at the time. I mean, I had for years been been going to France. I hadn't really been working. I was just, you know, scraping and making it by, paying for my trainings and doing the odd gig here and there. So I was shaking in my chair as I handed over my credit card number for a minimum deposit that instantly maxed it out. I was thinking, am I nuts? I haven't even talked to my husband about this, but I was determined to do this on my own. That afternoon, after confessing my insanity to my husband, who was as ever supportive of my decision, I was driving around town running errands and still shaking with fear and brainstorming how I could possibly finance my coaching training and certification. Universe, I spoke aloud in the car, give me a sign. I've just done something really risky. 
but it feels right. Please give me a sign to confirm that it's a risk worth taking and that I'm not totally out of my mind here. As I pulled into the driveway a few minutes later, a Facebook notification popped up on my phone. Someone had tagged me in a post. My jaw practically hit the floor when I clicked on the link and read the following words from my friend Pamela, a beautiful singer and intuitive sound healer. Say yes to your dreams. My beloved friend Val Hawkins has been so present lately. At Val's memorial in March, a glorious celebration of her remarkable life, Claire Lotier, with great love and presence, brought through this powerful message from Val. Don't be afraid to live your dreams. Risk. Listen to the voice of your soul. Tell yourself the truth. <laughs> I began to laugh out loud with maybe just a touch of hysteria to see my own words that I'd spoken that weren't even my words, but they were Val's words a few months before and to just see them in my face like that, staring at me from my phone when I had asked for confirmation, I just was, could I mean, <laughs> blown away. And I felt Val's presence again, urging me on. I felt her around me. Thereafter, during every coaching event I hosted or attended over the next several years, I always wore a simple gold bracelet that had belonged to Val, which her sister had given me, after the memorial celebration of her life. I could feel her like an angel, a kind of loving glow that wrapped wings around me and encouraged me on my path, a path that she had had some part in helping me find. And thus begin a new life amid the seven years of tears. And the responsibility of holding the space for others accelerated the work that I had already dedicated myself to. There could be no more room for doubt. It wasn't about me. It was about us. So I had to get out of the way. Today, when I went back to find that Facebook post from years ago, it's insane and kind of amazing that you can search for an old Facebook post. I almost couldn't believe it when I actually found it. I reread it for the first time since that day I received it as the universe's sign that I was on the right path. And I was struck by the last phrase, tell yourself the truth. Because in the more recent past, that's been a constant mantra of mine to tell myself the truth about my deepest and holiest longings, to never hide myself from myself. No more contorting, distorting, or twisting myself to accommodate a role that's just another mask. Tell yourself the truth. I felt myself breaking open and surrendering at even greater depth, even as I have shared this journey with you. Just be you. No adornment, no deception. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You are pure in your incorruptible innocence. Don't be afraid to live your dreams. Risk. 
Listen to the voice of your soul. Tell yourself the truth and you will attract the grace on your path. I'll see you next time. Meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.